0: Good morning, church family. Good morning. All right. Wow, that was robust. I like that. That was good. Well, I mentioned a couple of weeks ago the Lord impressing upon my heart for me and for us together, go deeper, right, that in this season and really always in our Christian walk, he's always calling us to go deeper, Amen. to press in. Christ calls us to go deeper with him. He doesn't expect that we remain infants in the faith or shallow Christians. And going deeper with Jesus, it's always gonna provide a greater measure of joy and of peace and of strength. Going deeper is also what's expected of us. I've shared before, I have a friend of mine and he said to me once years ago, he said, you know, I've known some people that have been Christians for 50 years. And I've known other people that have been Christians for a year, 50 times over. They don't seem to really grow, nothing really changes. They sort of do the, the stuff, you know, they show up to the right events, and they write the right checks, and, but they're hard. They don't seem to be pressing in, going deeper. And because I love you with all my heart, and because like most lessons, I learn the hard way, I want to encourage you this morning. See, this is going to be, going deeper is not going to be comfortable. It's going to be challenging, but it's going to be good. Because God, we have to be aware of our need for Him. We have to be aware of our condition before God. I've said before, you know, I liked the Savior part. Like, I, I wanted Jesus to be my Savior. I needed a Savior. But the Lord of my life, uh, I don't know, you know. Because we're going to talk about it, but deep down inside, we want to be our own king. We want to be our own Lord. And so going deeper involves trust. It involves sacrifice. It involves a recognition of our spiritual poverty. Press into Jesus. Go deeper. No matter where you are, God has more for you. He wants more for you. And if you remain a lukewarm Christian, not only will God not be able to use you the way he desires, but you will miss out. You will miss out because your best plans for your life, I promise you, as sure as I'm standing here, don't compare to his plans for your life. Over and over again, I'm overwhelmed by what the Lord does. By his grace and mercy in my life. And by hearing again and again for so many of you, it's wonderful to hear, you know, and, and I, I was thinking about this and I was talking about this, you know, the other day, is it's great to hear, you know, that, that word, it was a good word, Pastor, and, and God spoke directly to me and it's like, you know, that word was for me and it's like, okay, well, I don't know what's going on in your life, but God does. And he's not going to let me get in the way of what he has for you. And so, you know, last week I preached, and there was just such a response, and people were, you know, responding, and so I have this, like, conversation with God, and it, we don't have it as much anymore, because I kind of know, but I remember, you know, one of the times preaching was preaching, I was responding, I'm being like, you know, and somebody said, I don't know if you're going to be able to do that again next week, and so I'm like, Lord, yeah, I don't, you know, that's, that's the downside of preaching a and, and then it's like, oh, no, of course you can't do it, like, you've never been able to do it, right. but I will, yeah. I'm going to show up, I lo- those, are, those are my people. And so just move out of the way. And so that's our prayer this morning, that I would move out of the way and that he would speak through me. And that all your, all your hardened hearts, all, your, all the things, the lies of the enemy, the distractions, all those things right now in the name of Jesus, God, cast them aside, God. Help us to focus. Help us to receive. We do want to go deeper, God. We believe, help our unbelief. Increase our faith. Increase our hunger and thirst for your word, your spirit, and your righteousness in our lives, God. We want to go deeper, but we need you. And so, God, show up in a way that only you can this morning. Amen. There's a saying that Pastor Jamie likes to share a lot. I've heard him say it several times, and he says this. If you got charged with being a Christian in a court of law, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Hello. Hello. You know, I've, I've shared before about this idea. You know, you ever run into somebody, you just kind of watch them, and you're like, I think that person's a Christian. You know, you just kind of know. You just get a sense, and then you find out they are. And then, I, I mean, when I'm honest, I'm like, I wonder, I wonder if people that don't know me, I wonder if that's what they say. I mean, what a testimony, right? When you can just see there's something different. It's quantifiable. It's tangible. You can see it. It's real, but you can't really... And then you find out that's the hope of Jesus Christ. Amen. And so we're not talking about being a leader, being a theologian, being a pastor. We're talking about the ministry of reconciliation. Yes. That Paul says, you've been reconciled to Christ. And you've been given the ministry of reconciliation. That means you share that good note, that good news of hope you have in Jesus. Yes. I got asked this past week to share uh, a little bit at a memorial service for a young man, 23 years old, who lost his life. And I knew a lot of people there. They weren't believers. And, you know, I prayed about, you know, I, I sort of have the standard, you know, kind of after a while, you're going you know, to tweak it a little. I have kind of the standard funeral. And I just was, you know, praying. And, and, and the scripture, John 11, 35, the shortest in English in the, in the Bible, Jesus wept. And I shared how those two words... Those two simple words tell us so much about God. Because he he wept knowing that he was going to bring Lazarus back from the life. But he wept because he loved Lazarus. And he wept because he saw people mourning. And he loved people. He was relationally connected. And so that when they were sad, he was sad. And you know what the people around him said? They said, see how much he loved him. And I shared that. And I said, hopefully you know right now. Hopefully you feel and recognize that God is with you now. And I want you to know how much your loved one was loved and how much you're loved of God. Amen. When people look at us, do they see anything different in us at all? Not just in what we say, but in how we live. I want to take a look together at going deeper. And I want to look at what hinders us from going deeper. I want to look at how we can go deeper. And I want to look at the benefits of going deeper. The writer of Hebrews, Hebrews 5.12, he says this. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness, but solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ and be taken forward to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death and of faith in God. The writer is saying, okay, wait a minute. You guys guys have been doing this for a minute. You should be teaching. But let's back up because you don't even get it. Let's start with the basics. I mean, you know, Pastor Sam shared that. We had a combined men's and women's breakfast. Sixty-something people showed up. Beautiful time. Well, next time, if you weren't there, I, I would encourage you to be there. But Sam shared there. Sham, Sam shared about how we're expected to, to go deeper. God expects us to press in, to deny ourselves, to give ourselves over to him. And so what the writer here is saying is, is, is look, you don't, you don't even know who Jesus is. You don't even know why he came. You don't even know the basics about God and about righteousness and about your salvation. You know, I was, we had dinner last night with a group of us and I was talking to my mother-in-law about this. And she said, you know, you're a good parent when you give your, your child milk, maybe the first year, maybe the second year. If you keep giving your child milk the third year, in the fourth year, in the fifth year, it's gonna be, you're going to be in a crisis. You're going to call the doctor and be like, this is like an emergency. My, my child is malnourished. They're suffering. There's something wrong. They're not healthy. They're not growing. And spiritually, some of us, it's just milk. Over and over again. And then something bad happens in our life and we're completely undone. Because we have no foundation. We're not... Forget about teaching other people. We haven't even let the word penetrate our hearts. This is a quote by an author named Bud Keelan. He was an author who wrote from the 1900s to about 1960. <clears throat> and he said this. My father didn't just tell me how to live. He lived, and he let me watch him do it. My father didn't just tell me how to live. He lived, and he let me watch him do it. Christians, you know what we get really good at? Telling everybody else what they ought to think, what they ought to believe, how they ought to behave. Our kids... And Jesus says something like that, right? Doesn't he about something about a log and RI and a spec? we're so good at identifying all the shortcomings in our spouse and all the shortcomings in our neighbor and all the shortcomings in the world. Right? I've said before, you know, we talk about revival, and I've heard people say, you know, this country needs revival. This politician needs revival. My neighbor needs revival. My spouse needs revival. You know where revival begins? When I stand before God, amen. fully surrendered, and I say, God, my heart needs revival. Yes, amen. God, I, I don't want to be who I was. I, I am in desperate need of you. Would, you. would you revive my heart? Would you help me to love Jesus more than I love my sin? And you know what happens when he does that? That, that revival, that touches everybody you meet. We pray revival is not that everybody else would change. Prayer revival is that we would change. Isn't that what Jesus did? Jesus lived, and he taught us how to live, and he told us how to live, but he showed us how to live, and he showed us how to love. Now, there's a quote that's misattributed. St. Francis of Assisi all the time, preach the gospel wherever you go, and if necessary, use words. He didn't say that. That's incorrect. You have to use words. The gospel is more than just doing nice stuff. It involves doing nice stuff. There's always a balance, right? I've heard people say, well, that's a social gospel. I don't even know what that means. Of course it's a social gospel. It's about people. Yeah. Social gospel? Now, I understand what it means when, they, when you know, people take the gospel to mean just do good deeds and never tell anybody about the condition of their heart and their need for a savior. Uh-huh. So it is not an either or. It is a both end. But believe me, the gospel is social. Yes. Jesus fed the poor. Jesus was biased toward the least of these. It is absolutely a social gospel, but it is not just about you can help people and you can put a warm coat on them and you can pray for them, and if they don't know Jesus, they're still going to hell. Does that mean we never mess up? Does that mean that we got it all together, that we're perfect? No, but sometimes we don't even try. It's one thing to, to continue to battle and struggle against your sin. It's another thing to wave the f- surrender flag, like just, you know, not even, not even try anymore. Right, so Paul writes to the Galatians and he says, you foolish Galatians, what began in the spirit, are you now trying to continue in the flesh? Wait, you realize it's been, by grace you've been saved through faith? You realize it's only an act of God that saved you, and now you think he's just like, all right, figure it out. no. It's his grace that, that meets you every moment of your life. When you're in the most need, his grace is there. We can be awful good at memorizing scripture. We can be, be awful good at pointing out what's wrong with the world and what's wrong with you know everybody else and missing what's wrong with their own heart. I heard someone say once, who you are when you are alone is who you are before God. Again, does that mean we... We got it all together. I mean, look, Paul, like if you had to be like, who's a super Christian? Paul, like, I mean, t- like Paul's a super Christian, right? If there was a super Christian, which there isn't, it would be Paul. And this is what Paul said. And I want to read it in the message because I think we're very familiar with this scripture, but I, I read through the message. I like, I like the way it says here. So if you have it in your Bible, you want to read Romans 7, but I'm going to read it in the message. Romans 7, beginning in verse 14. This is what Paul says. I know that all God's commands are spiritual, but I'm not. Isn't this also your experience? Yes, I'm full of myself. After all, I've spent a long time in sin's prison. What I don't understand about myself is that I decide one way, but then I act another. Doing things that I absolutely despise. So if I can't be trusted to figure out what is best for myself and then do it, it becomes obvious that God's command is necessary. But I need something more. For if I know the law but still can't keep it, and if the power of sin within me keeps sabotaging my best intentions, I obviously need help. I realize I don't have what it takes. I can will it, but I can't do it. I decide to do good, but I don't really do it. I decide not to do bad, but then I do it anyway. My decisions, such as they are, don't result in actions. Something has gone wrong deep within me, and it gets the better of me every time. It happens so regularly that it's predictable. The moment I decide to do good, sin is right there to trip me up. Yeah, I truly delight in God's commands, but it's pretty obvious that not all of me joins in that delight. There are parts of me that covertly rebel and just when I least expect it, they take charge. I've tried everything and nothing helps. I'm at the end of myself. Is there no one who can do anything for me? Isn't that the real question? And then in verse 25, the answer, thank God, is that Jesus Christ can and he does. He acted to set things right in this life of contradictions where I want to serve God with all my heart and mind, but I'm pulled by the influence of sin to do something totally different. So too often, see, we get frustrated. Or we look at other people, right? And, and every, everybody seems to, have, you know, on the outside. Every, listen, nobody has it together, okay? If you've come to the conclusion, ah, this Christian, I can't do that. It's, it's impossible. Absolutely, you're right. It is totally impossible without God. But in Christ and through Christ, all things are possible often we get discouraged, we get frustrated. Things don't go the way we want, and we beat ourselves up, or we allow the enemy to beat ourselves up. And last week we talked about this idea of, of believe, repent, obey, of sort of this gospel cycle of believe, repent, obey, of that continuing. And sometimes we just, we don't want to repent, or it takes us like so long, and we, we stay out there, and we allow the enemy to beat us up, and we get discouraged and defeated. That's not how we ought to live. That's, how, that's lukewarm Christianity. That's not the victory of Jesus. That's not walking in who we are in our new identity. Great author and theologian G.K. Chesterton, he said this once in in an essay entitled What's Wrong with the World. He said the Christian ideal has not been tried and found wanting. It has been found difficult and left untried. It's not that people have pressed into Jesus and and surrendered their hearts to him and and then, you know, it's like, ah, there's nothing here. You know, this You know this doesn't fill me. No, it's that, ah, that looks like, I don't know, that might be tough, so, you know, I'm, gonna, I'm not even gonna attempt uh, that. As sure as I'm standing here with all my heart, and I wish words had the power to convey this truth, I know God's Spirit does. If you pursue anything in your life other than Jesus Christ, you will end up utterly discouraged, you'll end up alone, and you will always, always, always Be dissatisfied and continue to have this deep longing. It'll never, ever be enough and you will live an unfulfilled life. The pursuit of anything. The moment that you buy that thing or you accomplish that goal or you get that relationship, whatever it is, as soon as it happens, it'll fade and you'll be on to the next thing. But Jesus Christ Every longing of your heart, every desire is filled in him. And sometimes I think we hear people say that, and we think, well, maybe it's true for them, but I don't know. Man, I just, I I pray. Get to the end of yourself. See, Chesterton also recognized, like Paul, the condition that sin opposes on us, and that we must fight against in and through Christ. And so the, in the Times of London, there was an editor and he sent out a letter to 20 of the most prominent writers of the day and he said, what is wrong with the world today? And he wanted them to answer that question and respond. And Chesterton responded, dear sir, I am G.K. Chesterton. Because he recognized the problem's not everywhere else. The problem is the human heart, starting with me first. And so that's why when when, the, when Jesus begins, you know, his one of his most famous sermons, the teaching, the Sermon on the Mount, when he begins that, "Blessed are the poor in spirit." Blessed are those who recognize their spiritual poverty and their need for God. Is the thing, and I've said it again and again. People say, you know, it's not easy to be a Christian. It's not. I know that. I know. You know, it's harder not being a Christian. You know what's higher? Living a life without Jesus and without hope and without direction. Yes. Living, living with, well, you know, and, and, and I've, I've heard this before. It was, you know, origins meaning morality and destiny. Thinking people, whether consciously or subconsciously, those four questions must be answered. Origins meaning morality and destiny. Where do we come from? How do we determine what's value ultimately, meaning and purpose? How do we make ethical decisions and what happens in the end? And the world is just left to, you know, this day, this is right and this is wrong. That day, will I feel this? Will I think this? Great. You know, and I, love, I love theological debate. I love it from an academic standpoint. It's, you know, but when, when I'm talking to people, and I'm not talking about people who are unbelievers, but when I'm talking to people who are, they say they're Christian and they want to talk about something theological, I always say, do you have a high view of Scripture? In other words, is the authority in your life, do you believe the authority of the Bible? And if they say no, I'm like, I love you, but I don't care. I don't care what you think, I don't care what you feel, this week, next week, doesn't matter. What does the word of God say? Because if, if it's not grounded in that, if that's not the foundation, you just, it's the same situation the world's in. Up is down, down is up, right is left, who knows? You're left with competing preferences, that's the best you can get. But the thing is, God showed us who he is. He showed us who he is through his word, through his son. You want to know about God? Look at Jesus. Christ came to set us free from ourselves, from the burden and bondage of sin, and to spend all your days in pursuit of things that will never satisfy is to have no ultimate hope and no meaning. It is breaks my heart to see people settle for mediocre Christianity. That's an oxymoron, by the way, and you're missing out. You're you really missing out. We think that you know we think that Christianity is sort of like you know I, I pursue the American dream. And then it would be really cool to have eternal life and have Jesus. So, we, you know, our pursuit is not necessarily of God and his will for our life. Our pursuit is in our will for our life. And we just ask God to, like, rubber stamp it, right? Or, or we do this. We kind of know the direction God wants us to go. We kind of can see the end game. But then we sit back in our brilliance. We're like, okay, God, I'm in agreement. We both, we're both going to, you want me there and I want me there too. But you haven't probably seen the big picture and I've been doing some thinking. And so I think I found a shortcut. I mean, I think I might know a better way. So Lord, when I get there, you know, I'll, I'll see you over there. And he just goes, oh, okay, we're going to do this again? All right. And it breaks his heart. Not because he wants to lord it over us, not because he wants to control us, because like a loving father, he just goes, again? And then he goes, okay. And you know what he does in our grace and mercy after the second or the third or the fourth time of us falling on our face? He brings us back to that same spot. And he says, All right, we got a choice again. What do you want to do? You know, what we should do is say, Lord, I don't, I don't know anything. I, I, don't, I have no idea. I'm not even going to move unless you lead me. Amen. That's what it means to go deeper. And it's uncomfortable and it's scary, but it's beautiful and it's good and it's expected. The Bible is not filled with amazing people. The Bible is filled with ordinary and less than ordinary and broken people who serve an amazing God. Amen. And with an amazing faith, God does amazing things. And God doesn't just want to use the, you know, God doesn't look and go, okay, who's the most talented? Yeah, yeah, I need, I need you. No. God goes, whose heart do I have? You know, who's who sold out for me? Who's, who's just ready to say, here I am, God, use me? I have a, I have a um, quote in my office. It's by Haddon Robinson, the great preacher. And he said, every time I preach, I just remember the little boy with a couple loaves and the fish. Doesn't seem much, but he gave it to God and look what God did with it. That's not just for preachers, that's for our life. I don't have much, in fact, I got nothing. I mean, Lord, Lord you have it all, you do it all, but you know what, whatever I can do, I'm going to show up. What, what would it look like if we were led by him? In our text we read in Hebrews, the writer scolded the Hebrew Christians for remaining shallow believers for not growing deeper. And so we look around and, and you know, we, we have this idea that, well, you know, everybody around me seems to be, you know, kind of, you know, shallow. It doesn't, you know, they say they're Christian. You know, they, they vote the right way. They have the right bumper stickers. You know, they, they know the, the scriptures. They say all the right stuff. But deep down, their heart is far from God. Amen. We've said before, the Pharisees didn't have bad theology. They just didn't have a heart for God. They missed it. They missed it. And so Christ calls Peter, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And when he obeyed, what, the results are amazing. You don't think when he says to us, let me take you deeper, you don't think the results are going to be amazing? I've never yet run into somebody who said, yeah, you know, I've been walking really deep with Jesus and I don't know, I'm bored. No, I run into thousands of people who go, you know, I thought I, 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 thought I figured it out. I mean, I, I figured I had a good idea and, I, you know, I knew and it's like, no. We said like last week, being a follower of Jesus is, not being, is following Jesus. It's not asking Jesus to follow us. Right. When he obeyed, the result is amazing. And so Christ calls us to go deeper with him. And when we do, the results will always amaze us and always overwhelm us. And so three things we're going to look at. And it's going to be a two-part. We're going to continue next week because I don't want to rush through it. So we're going to look at what hinders us from going deeper how do we go deeper and what are the results of going deeper what are, what are the benefits what do we see and first it calls us to leave our comfort zone right And we, we, we touched on that last week with this idea and I, I love to preach on this theme and, but we always choose comfort over growth don't we and the Christian life the Christian life is literally God make me more like Jesus and that means if you're like me and you're not like Jesus it's going to be a painful change but it's change, it's growth. Consider it pure joy when you face trials, not because you're a sadist, not because you enjoy suffering, but what? Because it produces faith, it, pro- it increases your faith, it produces character, because our goal, you and me, the reason we're here is we can be more and more like Jesus. That is it. And you know why we're called to be more and more like Jesus? Because we're ministers of reconciliation. Because we're supposed to be salt and light and his hands and feet. And we're too wrapped up in our own pursuits and our own agendas. To leave our comfort zone. To choose growth versus comfort. To trust God. It's hard, you know. We get faith and belief. I believe the right set of facts. I believe the Bible. That's important. It's necessary. You, can't, you gotta know who God is. You gotta know his character. But then to trust when I have two decisions before me, when nobody really is going to know, when well, everybody's kind of doing it that way. I mean, it's kind of a gray area. Well, we think we got the shortcuts. We think we can outsmart God. We think our ways are better. Then what? We have, we have choices to make. Then what? Who are you when nobody's looking? It's about trust. It's about trust is active faith. It's about recognizing, Lord, I can't see it, I don't understand it, but this is what Your Word says, and this is what I'm going to do. You know, and Team Challenge used to say, "Some guys read a Burger King Bible, have it your way." I like this, I don't like that. That's good. That one I'm going to ignore. I'm going to listen to these commandments, but those few are. You know who selectively chose the commandments? One of the saddest stories in all of Scripture to me, the rich young ruler. Because there's ten commandments, six of them have to do with our, the way we interact with each other, and four of them have to do with the way we interact with God. And like many religious people, the rich young ruler had the six, that the way we act with each other. Jesus says, oh, you know the commandments, do this, do that. And Jesus, I, I've done that. He's like, ask everybody, they'll tell you what a good guy I am. And then what does Jesus do? Gets right to the heart of it, goes right to his idol, right to the thing he loves the most. The four commandments that have to do with his love and relationship before God. Because we're good at doing the religious stuff sometimes. But what is is that thing for you that God's saying, get rid of it? And I love it. I think it's in Mark's version. He says, and Jesus looked at him and had a great love for him. And it says, and then the man went away sad because he had great wealth. And I think how many times in my life have I can I look back and say, and then Jesus looked at me with love, but I went away sad because I chose something. That story is not about selling everything you have in particular to everybody. That story is about finding the idol on your heart and removing it so God can do what God does. Amen. And you're not losing anything because your idol is not going to satisfy. It's worthless. But there's a fear of the deep. It involves trust. What's it, what's it going to look like? I don't know. You know, some of, the, some of the best things that have happened in my life is when I've taken one step of faith, and I'm like, all right, I, I, can't, I can't take two steps, God, but I'll take one. 99.9% of what, of what you do spiritually is, is the Lord. If you're generous, 0.1% is us, right? But we've got to cooperate. We've got to allow the Spirit access We can't say, Lord, I'm 99% committed to you, but there's there's only 1%. There's only 0.5%. There's only a little bit I'm going to hold back. That's your idol. He's going to say, that's what you worship. And you're going to live your whole life, and that's what you're going to serve, not me. And you're going to live a divided life. This fear of being different if you're committed to Jesus, if you go deeper. Because we're made to exist in community. I mean, we're made to be relational. God exists in community. It's the the greatest blessing in our life, relationship with God, relationship with one another. Nobody wants to feel excluded. Nobody wants to feel ridiculed. And I get that, and I don't want to minimize that. At the same time, your life and my life should be lived for an audience of one, right? Jonathan Edwards' famous resolutions, number one, I will live for God. Number two, if nobody else does, I still will. And so what we do is we, we're going to make a decision. We have, we have something we're going to do. And we call the, the knucklehead that we know that whenever we want to do anything, they think it's a good idea. So we want advice and because and, people say, well, how do I know the right thing? You know, what's the right thing? Well, the Word of God says it. And if you don't get that, you pray in the Spirit, right? And if you say, I'm unclear, we'll ask people for advice. Good Christian people that love you enough to tell you the truth, not the knuckleheads that go, that sounds like an awesome idea. Yeah, let's do that. I spent like 30 years of my life doing that. ended up in rehab. Not a good idea. Nope. That's being the king of your own castle. You know what's going to happen? Your castle is going to crumble. Your life's going to be a disaster. And in his grace and mercy, he's going to meet you there anyway. It means asking the, the spiritual people, the people who love you, who will tell you truth. Hey, I'm praying about this. I'm reading God's word about it. What should I do? And then, and then if you put it in a, you know, that's the spiritual piece. If you put that idea of exclusion if you, or feeling ridiculed, if you put that in just a sort of step back and look at a historical perspective, like, Wait, I don't want to bring my Bible to work because, you know, people make fun of me. I mean, they don't want to talk to me because I'm a Christian. What? I get it. Like, there's places right now that people are literally holding up their Bible or are praising the name of Jesus as they're being executed in front of their families. Like, I don't know, I'd be a Christian. You know, they make fun of me on TV, on you know, the late night shows. They make fun of us. Cry me a river, right? Right. Hello. Nobody wants to feel excluded. Nobody wants to feel, you know, but if, if you let the darkness around you dim your light, forget about you. What's that doing to them? You're, the, the Christ in us is the hope of the world. There's no plan B, church. We're it. God chose us foolish things to confound the wise. Power of the cross is foolishness to those who are embarrassing, right? And those who have being saved, it's the power of God. And so you're in a place and, oh, I don't know, I kind of feel, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. I'm not this. I'm not that. And God's going, we just just love? Just tell people about me? You know what you all have? Your, your testimony. Well, my testimony is not that amazing. You were dead and now you're alive. You were blind and now you can see. You were addicted and in bondage, and now you're set free. What? It doesn't matter how sins made manifest in your life. It doesn't matter what that looks like. It doesn't matter if you were, you just kind of your whole life you grew up in the faith. Praise God! What a testimony that that was. You grew up in a godly home, and your result is your life is the result of praying grandparents and praying parents, and you've known Jesus forever. That's a testimony. You can't know Jesus and not have a testimony. You can know Jesus and, and have a testimony and not share it. The enemy spends so much time keeping us distracted, keeping us, look at this person, look at that person, and you're like, man, what would it look like? You say, Lord, just, just I don't know, use me. Have you been in my life? I said, I've said before so many times, the worst day in my life, the absolute worst day in my life when I was at the end of everything, I was just so done, was the day I walked through the door as a team challenge. Worst day in my life. Also the absolute best day of my life. Absolutely the best day of my life. And that's what God does. We're like surprised about that. What was the cross? The cross was the worst thing ever to happen in humanity from that perspective, right? God came, sent his son, and our sin put him on the cross. And what did God do from that terrible event? The the redemption of mankind for those who believe. Again and again in our own life, God takes Ashes and makes them beautiful. And then we like, I don't know, God. I don't know if you're going to show up in this thing. I know you created the world, and I know you, you know, you set us free from sin. I know, but I got this situation. This one might be too tough for you, God. Yeah, okay. Going deeper calls for a greater commitment, doesn't it? It takes work. Again, comfort over growth. The path of least resistance, even if it's not God's path for us. I'm gonna say some things that are gonna hurt because we can say, oh, we're gonna talk about going deeper. That's awesome, Pastor Brian. And I'm gonna say things and be like, that, ouch, that hurt. I love you enough to tell you the truth. God loves me enough to tell me the truth. He doesn't leave me comfortably in my sin. We've said before we wanna be a place where you feel loved enough to stay, challenged enough to grow. He said, you're here wherever you are. God loves you right where you are. He loves you right where you are today. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You know what? He loves you so much he doesn't want to leave you where you are. Right. And if you've been walking with Jesus, he doesn't expect that you continue to do the same thing over and over again. And if you do, it's, uh, you say, well, it's not my fault. I try. Well, that's the problem. You try. try. Let him try. Amen. Surrender to him and watch what he does. But we have, here's the thing, right? And this is going to like this, hey, listen, this is not me preaching to you. This is, Conviction, equal opportunity. And God doesn't challenge us or convict us to make us feel guilt and shame. He does it so we can change, so we see what's wrong and we can right the ship. He doesn't, he doesn't bring us to a place of brokenness to leave us broken. He does it to heal us. Because in order to build anything, there needs to be a foundation. And so I used to say, I don't have any time. Anybody ever say that? I got no time. I'm so busy, I got no time. And my wife Looked at me and said, you make time for what's important. Ouch. And then, you know, so now you're already starting to think, no, but you don't understand. No, but it's different for me. No, but I got this. I got this. Yeah, I, I know. I get it. I know. And I'm not talking about busy seasons because we got a sick kid. Life happens. But some of you have had a busy decade, a busy two decades. And I've seen it in my life, and I've seen it in the lives of so many people. You're going to get to the end of your life, and you're going to be like, what did I give it all for? Live for God and people, not stuff, not accomplishments. It takes time, but we have a priority problem. And if you don't control your calendar, it'll control you. And again, listen, I get to wrestle with this, because everything seems important. I mean, you know, there's the, that quote is, we let the urgent crowd out the important, Right? Because we don't prioritize the important, just things come up and we're, you know, we're immediately in a whirlwind, caught up. And at the end of the night, we, don't, we had, you know, 10 things on our to-do list and now we have 20. I said, you know, at the beginning of the year, I had, you know, I wanted to lose 20 pounds and only have 30 more to go. So I'm, <laughs> that's what life feels like sometimes. Some of you guys are like, you need to lose more than 30 pounds, buddy. <laughs> We all get 24 hours in a day. What's important to you? you may call for sacrifice. You may call for denying self, giving up something, but that denying self, that, that picking up your cross, that is an invitation to death, but it is an invitation to life through that death. It is not just die to self, deny yourself. I've heard people say that pick up your cross. That's not where that ends. Pick up your cross is an invitation for you to die, to let Christ live in you. So pick up your cross and walk a resurrection life. God is a good father. He wants to motivate us. He wants to encourage us. And so going deeper may call for the giving up of something. I read a writer once said, I've been fearful to go deeper with God because I thought it would include deep pain, walking through the fire to be refined. Yeah, it might. In fact, it probably will, and it'll be difficult, but the end result will be beautiful. The end result will be you walking with God, feeling the strength and power and peace of God. We touched again last week. Jesus says, in this world, you will have trouble. I don't know why I was surprised. Oh, the things are so bad, you know, the world's falling apart. It's always been falling apart. It's never not been falling apart. So, what is the answer? God's answer is the cross. It's Jesus Christ. It's the only hope of the world. Amen. It's the only way to write things. Your political candidate, your favorite talk show host, whoever it is, they're not going to fix anything. You're not going to fix anything. You know who's going to fix it? Jesus. Amen. It requires accountability. This is a tough one. Because we like the Jesus the Savior, we don't like Jesus the Lord. And here's the thing. All of sin... All of the sin comes from me going. I'm going to be God. I'm God. I'm in charge, and so people will say, "Well, you know, I, I listen to God. I just don't listen to a single human being in my life. Like if God tells me to do something, I'm going to do it." And it's like, "Well, you don't even do that." But let's, for the sake of argument, give you that one. But I'm not going to listen to my wife or my pastor or the, you know, my spiritual counselor. I'm not going. To, I'm, I listen to God, but you know, I'm in charge. I'm the king of my own castle. Okay, good. Let me know how that works out for you. Because even if you accomplish everything in your life you set out to accomplish, you know what? At the end, you're going to be like, yeah, that was not what I thought was going to happen. And I'm unfulfilled and I'm alone. I've said before, you know, when I was an atheist, and when I say I was an atheist, like I remember being in seventh grade telling God he didn't exist anymore. And so who was I talking to, right? But I remember thinking, there is no God. The point of life, increase pleasure, minimize pain. Makes sense. Very logical. I, was very, I thought I was very brilliant. I'm a legend in my own mind, right? So I got this, you know, that makes sense. The problem was that it didn't work. That even when I did it, before externally, everything fell apart. Because if you live just for you, everything will fall apart. Existentially, inside, I didn't feel fulfilled, Whatever the thing was, whatever the feeling was, whatever it was left me in deeper longing. And you know know what's sad sometimes? I think Oscar Wilde said there's only two tragedies in life. One is not getting what you want and the other is getting it. You spend your whole life and you pursue that, what you think is going to fulfill you. And then you know how devastating it is when it happens and it doesn't? And so most people, they spend their whole lives pursuing things they'll never attain, and so they don't stop and think. But when you do, when you do attain what you think is gonna bring you peace and value and, and all that, and then you sit back and you're just like, I just thought I was gonna feel better. I just thought it was gonna give me that peace. It goes back to the garden. We've preached about this in Genesis. The biggest problem, sin, the biggest effect of sin is, yes, we're disconnected from God, but the immediate result of that is that we felt shame and We hid is that we said, ah, there's something wrong with me. And so we spend our whole lives going, there's something wrong with me, but if I bought that, there's something wrong with me, but if I took that, there's something wrong with me, but if I was with that person, and then all that happens, and we still, there's still something wrong with me, fundamentally wrong. It's sin. We have a heart problem. So it requires accountability, and it calls for availability. Again, back to the time... And this is going to sting. And I'll tell you what. If I say this and you get mad and you're angry with me, just okay. But stop and ask yourself, why? Why does it sting so much? Because I've said before, I love you enough to tell you the truth. And you hate me for telling you the truth, but don't love me for lying to you. You are not a slave to your kids' activities. And if you think that by allowing whatever your kids have going on to dictate what you do on Sunday, and then you're going to wonder why when we lose kids, when the next generation walks away from the faith and we go, it's the culture, it's the TV, it's the politics. No, it's the example you didn't set by saying church is something we do when we have nothing better to do. Church is something we do when we don't have games to play and the weather's not nice. And I'm not saying you don't take time with your family. And here's the other thing. I'm not even saying that Sundays would be so necessary if it weren't for the fact that 99% of your spiritual food comes from right now. So if you miss Sunday, and you're, you know, your kids are doing something, and it always seems like sports is Sunday, and I got three kids, I get life, but then you say, you know what, we're missing the sermon, but we're going to sit down as a family, we're going to pray together, we're going to watch the sermon online, we're going to talk about it, we're going to read the word, amen, fine, but I have yet to run into somebody that's told me that. Everybody says, yeah, sorry, I couldn't make Sunday for the last six months, but my kids were busy. And it breaks my heart, not because I'm like, oh, you know, you're not. No, it's because it's like you're missing out. And not only are you missing out, but you're not an example for them. And so you can be like, oh, I feel bad. That was really convicting. You can be like, yeah, you know what? I got I to change that in my life. Because we're really good at telling our kids what to do, but they're going to watch us. They, you can tell them all day long, this is what's important to me. And they're going to say, but when I look at your life, and again, I get it. And I'm sorry if that, you know, ruffles your feathers. But I care about you and I care about your kids too much. Don't apologize. Love people, don't love stuff and accomplishments. Luke 12, 48. Everyone to whom much is given, from him much will be required. And to whom much has been committed, they will ask the more. Of him, they will ask the more. Now, when it says everyone to whom much is given, that includes every single person in this room. Because if you have Jesus, you have everything. Amen. And so we read John 15 and we say, you know, if you're not doing the right thing and you get pruned, that makes sense. Because, you know, you're not doing the right thing, you a little, little pruning. But then we don't like the fact that it says, if you are doing the right thing, you get pruned. If you are bearing fruit, you get pruned. And you're kind of like, Lord, like, there's people that are doing nothing. And I'm at least doing something, and you're going to prune me? And he says, why? Because I want you to bear more fruit. Because I want to use you more. Because I want you to experience more of the joy that it is to serve me and love me unconditionally. And watch how that affects everybody you encounter. We get so wrapped up in our own stuff. You know, we're just so, everything's built on sand, and, you know, we, we face a crisis, a bad stuff happens, and we're just undone. We just have no, we have no foundation, we have no basis. We don't know Christ, the solid rock, and so we just... Or, or we get into a crisis, and we, and for that season, we give it to Jesus, and he rescues us. And then we quickly take our will back, all of us, me. every Hopefully, as you walk with Jesus more, you just do that less. You take your will back, and it doesn't take long before you, you know... But we take our will back, and then a year, two years, you're out in the wilderness, you're away from him. And then your pride is so such that, well, I'm gonna find my way back. God's like, I, I got directions. No, no, no. No, it's okay, I'm gonna figure it out. And God's like, I love you. I always look at it in the relation to being a dad, right? Like, I want my kids to do what I want them to do, not because I wanna control them, because I've learned a couple things. You know how I've learned a couple things? I remember having a, a guy work with me, a computer kid. You know, I did computers for years, I still do. And I remember him, you know, taking like an hour to figure something out. He goes, You know how to do this, right? And I'm like, Yes, I do. He's like, Why don't you just tell me? I said, Because you know how I learned how to do it? I did it wrong a hundred times. And if I just tell you, you're not going to learn how to do it or oh, the process. And sometimes, you know, we want the shortcut, we want the quick, and it's in the process, and it's in the trusting God, it's in a walking with Jesus that we learn. And so how can we go deeper? I'm going to touch on a few of these things. How can we go deeper? Intensive Bible study. 2 Timothy 2.15, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needs not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. John John 5.39, Search the scriptures, pour over the scriptures, examine the scriptures. Inductive Bible study means observation. What does the text say? Interpretation, what does the text mean? Application, what does it mean to us? You know, most of the, most of the problems, and, and you know, people all the time, is like, well, it says this to one person, it says that to one, that's not, that's just bad, that's just bad understanding. That's Jesus. that's wanting the text to say something that it doesn't say. So there's, there's methods and we've touched on this and we've taught about it. Who's the author? Who are they writing to? What's the occasion? What, what is the, the reason they're writing? Who's the audience? Amen. When was it written? What did it say then? And then, how do I apply it to my life? So, God is a good father. He's got a extravagant love for us. You can find that throughout scripture. Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you. That's not a good life for us. And I'm probably upsetting people unless 70 years of captivity was included in the plan of your life, does, does, does that bring out some certain truths? Sure it does. We've got to read in context. You can't just pick and choose certain things and be like, yeah, I'll, I'll have that. That's what people do. That's what people do, and then they hold snakes, and they get bit by the snakes. And, you know, that's the extreme example of that. So study the Word. It doesn't mean you have to be a theologian, but you've got to know the Word of God. Amen. Why? Because Peter says, look, when people ask you, about the hope that is in you. And I love that he says when and not if. Why? Because if y'all living for Jesus, people are gonna ask you. Be like, I don't know, what's different about you? And you can be like, Oh, I know Jesus. Let me tell you, let me tell you my story. I know Jesus. Acts 17, 11 these Christians in Berea, these Bereans were nobler than those in Thessalonica and that they received the word with all readiness of mind and they searched the scriptures daily to see whether those things were so. I don't care if I'm in the middle of preaching. If I say something that either you don't understand fully or I say something incorrect, stop me. Stop me because we're all students of Jesus, right? And so it's the word of God. It doesn't matter what I think. It matters what he says to us. And so if you don't know the truth of God's word, your life's going to be a disaster. Why? Because you're going to take all your advice from your friend or from the person whose views most align with yours or from the knucklehead that you call when you want to do dumb things. That's going to confirm everything you think every single time. What's that quote? If you, if you want to run away from God, the devil will provide the transportation and put all the passengers in the car. You want to do the wrong thing? Everybody will do the wrong thing with you. But you want to live for Jesus. Inductive Bible say intimate prayer. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up and I'm going to to ask you this question and then I'm going to close and and next week we're going to continue with the, the second half. But listen, if revival in our church in our country depended solely on your prayer life, would it ever break out? If revival in our country and in our church and in our world was dependent entirely on your prayer life In my prayer life would it ever break out. We've got to be people of prayer. It's awesome. You know, we got 500 people connected to the church, great services, and, you know, I get people can't get to everything and can't get to everything every time. And I get it. I get it all. We have prayer. On Wednesday night, a half hour of prayer before the Wednesday. You're like, I don't know, 20, 30 people. Now, I, again, I'm not keeping a checklist. I'm just saying, I know, you're, I know you're struggling. I know you got family members and friends that are not saved. I know the whole world is beating you up the second you walk out of here. And yet you think it's in what you know or what you remember or what you think instead of, of what Jesus can do. I've said before, if you, if you plan, you get what you can do. If you pray, you get what he can do. And so, so my prayer, the cry of my heart this morning, and the reason we're gonna we're gonna stop now. And I know, you know, we have the altars are open. We have an altar call. Some people say, "Well, you know, I'm not used to that. My church doesn't do that. I don't need to walk up. I can I can surrender right where I am." That's all true. That's fine. But there's also something to physically expressing, right? To raising your hands to surrender. And so here's the moment that you have. Forget about what everybody else is doing. You're here for you. You have this opportunity before God to ask him, Search my heart, God. Show me the idols in my life. Help me to commit, recommit myself to you. And so I think it would be incredible if the seats were empty and the altar was full. And together we said, Lord, we want to go deeper. Who cares what everybody, it's not about what everybody says, what everybody does. In our hearts, in our lives, I pray that we have an increasing desire for more of him. In Jesus' name.